0: both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we've been exploring how they're transformative both for the characters in the stories themselves um, and as well as transformative for us as we listen to them, as we absorb them, as we perhaps see ourselves in these stories. And last week we were reading from one of the oldest books in the Bible, um, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Torah, this ancient collection of writings and stories about the beginning of um, everything, I suppose. Uh, Chapters 1 to 11 deal with the creation of the universe and the beginnings of God's relationship with humanity. And chapters 12 to 50 um, kind of zoom in a little bit and focus on the story of one family, beginning with this guy called Abraham. And in chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham and he promises to bless him, he promises to make him into a great nation, and he promises that through him all nations will be blessed. And So we end up tracing this family line of Abraham, his family drama, if you like, and there's quite a lot of, there's quite a lot of drama in Genesis. If you like soaps, um, I highly recommend Genesis to you. And long story short, Abraham had some children, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac had some kids, Jacob and Esau. And eventually, in chapter 37, we're introduced to Abraham's great-grandson, a guy called Joseph. And it's Joseph's story that we've been exploring together. And so far in our story, things haven't been going too good for poor old Joseph. Poor, poor Joseph, what are you going to (laughs) do? I'm I'm really resisting breaking it. You can say, you can, right at the surface, if I go into song, I apologize. Um, But we we learned, didn't we, that Joseph wasn't a particularly likable young man. He told tales um, on his brothers. He shared dreams, suggesting that his mostly older siblings, his parent and mother, would one day bow down to him. Clearly, he'd never read How to Win Friends and Influence People. and to make matters worse, Joseph was the favourite son. He'd been gifted this special coat by his father, Jacob, sometimes called Israel. Um, and after dabbling in fratricide, the brothers decide that they've had enough and they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And admittedly, they took things a little bit too far. But we can sort of understand their motives. Um, in the end, it turns out to be a good thing for Joseph, though. He learnt a bit of humility Um, God is with him and he ends up being put in charge of all his master's possessions and even has this brilliant moment of, of moral triumph where his master's wife comes on to him and he refuses her and says, how could I do this wicked thing against God? But even though he did the right thing, he still ends up in a bad place. His master's wife accuses him of rape and he's thrown into the king's jail. And we talked about last week how sometimes life is just like that. Sometimes life just hits us out of nowhere with no rhyme or reason. Leaves us wondering, how did we end up here? What happened to us? But we also saw that God didn't leave Joseph in the pit. He continued to bless him. He continued to use him to bless others, just as he'd promised to do. Because God is a God of transformation. God is a God of resurrection. Someone who can bring life out of death. Someone who, when things seem hopeless, when the chips are down, can turn any situation around and use it for good. And so we're going to pick up the story today in chapter 40. If you've got your Bibles with you, please do read along with me. I'm going to probably read a fair chunk of it. Some of it I might paraphrase for time. Um, But the amazing thing about the Bible, of course, is that we don't need a theology degree for it to speak life to us. And I would hate for you to miss something that God is wanting to say to you. So please do follow along. Um, We're going to do a couple of chapters today and hopefully we'll finish Joseph next week. Um, I didn't intend for this to become a mini-series when I started it, but sometimes that's what the Bible's like. You sort of open it expecting one thing and you end up with a lot more. But I did warn you it was a long story, right? So... Chapter 40, verse 1, says this. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Just to be clear, it says it twice. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, um, storytellers trying to get us to remember something here, um, who were being held in prison had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? Come on, guys, we're in prison. It's great. Why so down? I don't know what sort of prison this was. Um, Anyway, uh, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Now, you might recall in chapter 37 that Joseph had some dreams of his own dreams about sheaves of wheat and the stars and the sun and the moon. And Joseph had obviously felt that he knew what these dreams meant because when he told them to his brothers and his parents he suggested that they were the sheaves of wheat and the stars and the moon and they were all bowing down to him. This was certainly a very bold interpretation and it's not an interpretation that uh, made him very popular with his family. Also it's I think quite important to note that At this point in the story, his interpretation of those dreams hadn't really come true, had it? There was nobody that was bowing down to Joseph. No spoilers if you know the end of the story. And yet here was Joseph once again suggesting that he could interpret (laughs) dreams. It's a bold move. I think if I had a track record like Joe's, I might have kept my mouth shut. Although notice what he actually says. He says, do not interpretations belong to God. Do not interpretations belong to God. When he spoke of the dreams in chapter 37, he makes no mention of God whatsoever. You can have a look for yourself. Now, that's not to say that they weren't from God, but notice the subtle difference in Joseph's approach. Instead of saying, I can tell you what it means. Let me sort it out. What he actually says is, you know what, I know a guy that might be able to help. I know somebody who might be able to help. Joseph's perspective has shifted. Rather than using his gift from God in this sort of arrogant, I know what it means way, he's giving the glory to God. He's wanting to introduce these two guys to him. Now, dreams in the Bible are kind of strange Things There's 21 recorded in total, um, ten uh, sorry, uh, mostly in the Old Testament, 10 in Genesis specifically, and six dreams in this story alone. And sometimes dreams are given as a warning from God, such as Abimelech's warning in Genesis 20 or Lamech's warning in Genesis 31, and the message is, is quite clear, it's quite obvious what God is saying. Sometimes dreams are a bit more cryptic, a bit more symbolic, like Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28 or literally any of the dreams in the book of Daniel. But whether their meaning is clear or not, dreams tend to be viewed in the Bible as a way of communicating with the divine, a sort of a message from heaven, so to speak. And if at this point you're desperately trying to remember that weird dream you had last week in case it had spiritual significance, don't panic. It was probably too much cheese. Um, I think a lot of dreams are just our subconscious sorting itself out right. But having said that, you know, I've known people through the years who have shared dreams with me that they've had that have had a profound impact on their life, dreams that have cause them to change the way they think about things, cause them to to reach out to to people in love, cause them to have a a change of perspective in some way. Dreams that certainly seem to to carry something of the divine within them. I sometimes wonder if God gives dreams to those of us who talk too much in our prayers because it's the only way you can get a word in edgeways. But whether you think dreams are God communicating with you or not, the thing that I love about this story, this next part of the story, is Joseph's willingness to point his fellow prisoners towards his God. Just catch that for a moment. The the cupbearer and um, the baker were troubled because they had no explanation for what they were experiencing. They couldn't understand it. And Joseph could have left it well alone. He could have said, yeah, you know... Dreams are weird. Just eat your prison slop. But he didn't. He recognized that they were looking for something and they didn't know what it was. He recognized that there was a need here that could be met by somebody that he knew. He recognized that they were in the dark and he says, You know what? I know somebody who has helped me through my times of darkness. I know someone who has been with me when I've been in the pit, when I've been here in prison before you arrived. You know, he was in this foreign land, he was separated from his people, but still he spoke up for the God that had made a difference in his life. And I can't help but feel the the challenge of that this morning. I can't help but ask myself, you know, how good am I at speaking up for the God that has made a difference in my life when I encounter, encounter others who have that need? Now, I'm not suggesting we should go into the office on Monday and Start saying to Brian, have you had any weird dreams, mate? Because I think I can help. Um, You know, we might kind of come across as a bit odd if we do that. But I'm sure there's other ways of sharing our experience of God with those around us. As we speak to people and they they tell us of the the difficulties they're having. They tell us of the the challenge they've got in their home life. the, The people they know that are struggling. Are we bold enough to say, you know what? I know somebody who has been there for me when I've been struggling. And I I might not be able to change that situation for you. I might not be able to make um, that difference for you. But you know what? I can pray for you. And if you want, I can pray with you. Are we bold enough like Joseph did to invite God to the party and see what happens? To bring God to the table. As I read this story again this week, I I couldn't help but think of the experience of the early Christians in Acts 8. Acts 8. If you're not familiar with the story in chapter 6, Stephen, an early leader in the church, is taken captive and um, questioned. And he, um, he, he's, he's bold, he stands up for God, but at the end of chapter 7, he's martyred, he's stoned to death. And at the beginning of chapter 8, we read these words. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. These dark days for the early church believers. But then in verse 4 we read, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They became ambassadors for God wherever they ended up. and As a result, many more people heard the gospel. Many more people were helped through a relationship with God. Similarly, you know, Joseph, he was ripped from his home. He was thrown in jail. And he could have been really bitter about that. He could have been really angry about that. But instead, he chose to be God's representative where he was. To offer God to these two men in darkness. After all, who else was going to do it? So what happened? Well, both men told Joseph their dreams, and Joseph, with God's help, interpreted them. Um, For the cupbearer, his dream meant that he was going to be restored to his former position in three days' time. And Joseph said to him, When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. The baker's dream was not quite so pleasant. His meant that in three days' time he was going to be executed. And sometimes I wonder if he'd been better off not knowing. But both dreams come true. Both dreams come true. God shows up. Joseph invites God to the party and God shows up. Isn't it good when when that happens? But significantly, the chapter ends with these words. Verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not... Remember Joseph. He forgot him. Poor, poor Joseph. Despite Joseph standing up for God, despite him inviting God to the party, despite him speaking up for God, despite God showing up for the cupbearer at least, he sees no fruit from his labor. You can sort of imagine it, can't you, you know, as the, he gets out and Joseph thinks this is brilliant, you know, he's going to have a chat with Pharaoh, he's going to sort it out, and in a few days' time I'll be sipping margaritas by the Nile. Woo! And then days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. And he never sees the cupbearer again. But, you know, I kind of love that this detail is here in the story, because I recognise that in my own life. We don't always get to see the fruit of our labour, do we? We don't always get to see the result of the seeds that are planted. You know, we might expect that if we are bold enough to share our faith and then God shows up, that we'd be sitting with that person in church the following week, raising our hands and shouting hallelujah, but it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Jesus likened it to a farmer sowing seed. He said some of it's going to fall on the path where it gets eaten by birds. He said some of it's going to fall on, on soil that's shallow and rocky and it'll, it'll spring up. There'll be a result, but when the sun comes out, the, the plants will wither and die. He said some of it's going to fall on good soil, but you know there's, there's thorns in there as well. And as it grows up, it's going to be choked. The message is going to be lost, squeezed out. But he says some of it will fall on good soil and produce a vast crop. But I can't help thinking how hard it must have been for Joseph during this time. Not knowing anything. Not knowing whether God was using the seeds that he'd planted. Not knowing whether there was any kind of gratitude or appreciation or or change in in, in perspective for the cupbearer. He knew none of it. He was just stuck in prison. and I suspect he thought he would never see the results for himself. And sometimes I think we need to learn to trust that God is working even when we can't see him working. To trust that the things that we sow in faith, the the times that we stand up for God, don't go to waste, even if we never get to see the results ourselves. Chapter 41, verse one, we read this. When two full years had passed, two years is a long time in prison. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. And then Joseph, sorry, not Joseph, then Pharaoh woke up with a start, I would imagine. Pharaoh falls back to sleep, he has another dream, just as weird, and in verse 8 it says his mind was troubled, and so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. We can see where this is going, right? The cupbearer thinks, I can remember something about a dream. When was that? Two years ago? And suddenly... The cogs are turning and it clicks into place and he tells the Pharaoh about Joseph and they grab him out of prison and they give him a quick shave so he's presentable and they plonk him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, nobody else can help, but I've heard that you can. And Joseph replies, I cannot do it. I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. That's his Humidity shining through again. Joseph is brave enough once again to bring his faith to the table. He's brave enough once again to invite God to the party and to see what happens. And it turns out that Pharaoh's dreams were about the land, seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph says, you've got to find someone and and put them in charge of this mess because you're going to need to collect the food in the good times to see you through the bad times. And in verse 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You can imagine if that statement had been made to Joseph at the beginning of the story, his ego would have inflated to the point where it exploded. But this was a different, more humble Joseph. A Joseph that recognised that his giftings were from God. Joseph, who wasn't about solving everything himself, but inviting people to have a relationship with God themselves. That's what he does, doesn't he, with the the Pharaoh. He says, I can't help you, but God can. God can give you the answers to these dreams. And so the Pharaoh says, you shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. With respect to the throne, um, only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And he gives him this platform, this unprecedented access, this new authority. He even gives him a wife, which is nice. As Jesus would later remind his disciples, whoever can be trusted with a little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Joseph's faithfulness in prison leads to this opportunity before the king of Egypt, which leads ultimately to this platform where he gets to shape the fate of an entire nation. Wow. All those years of waiting in prison, all those years of not knowing what God was doing, not knowing that God was working behind the scenes, Joseph's simple faithfulness to God ultimately leads to these incredible things. And so for us... I wonder what might happen in our lives if we are bold enough to invite God to the party. When we encounter those people that we know are in the dark, that are struggling, that are suffering in some way, for us to say, you know what, (laughs) I actually know someone that might be able to help you. I wonder if the band would come and join me. You know, as I think back across my own life, there are so many people that have encouraged me. So many people that have prayed with me. So many people that have stood with me through difficult times, dark seasons, when I was lost and confused. So many people that have made a real difference in my life. And I'm sure many of them don't know the impact that they've had. They don't know the difference they've made. Some of them have even um, passed on. I suspect some of them even thought, well, that was a waste of my time just like Joseph maybe did in that prison as the cupbearer left and forgot all about him. But sometimes it takes a while for the seed to grow. Sometimes God needs to work in people's lives over a long period of time. Sometimes it's not until disaster strikes again that people remember the thing that was said to them years and years ago, like Pharaoh's dream suddenly jogging the memory of the cupbearer. I wonder what difference might we make to people's lives this week by sharing our faith with them, by praying with them, by standing with them in love, even if we don't see those results straight away, even if we never see the results of the actions that we sow in faith. A favourite quote of mine is this, No step taken in faith is wasted, not by a God who makes all Things new, And let me just finish by reading you Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labour to the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. For this story today, this reminder that when we invite you to the party, when we invite you to the table, great things happen. Father, I pray that we would be bold this week. God, as we encounter those people that we know, those people that we work with, those people that we love, those people that don't know you. And they share with us their hopes, their dreams, maybe even their difficulties, the things that they're facing that we would be bold enough to invite you to the party. God, that we would offer to pray with them, that we would offer to stand with them, that we would offer to gather around them, encourage them, to love them as you call us to do, to love our neighbour as ourselves. And Father, that we might see great things come from our willingness to invite you and invite others into relationship with you. In Jesus' name. 好